Thank you, Adam. Just so uh, thankful and proud of our church family for so many different reasons, but you know we have had these sort of major transitions recently, of course, with the worship and just seeing folks step up, our own choir, and we had great, of course, wonderful guest worship leaders as well, and then now with the sound system, just seeing people rise up and be willing to volunteer, um, whatever's needed, you know, our, our congregation just steps up to it. I just love that about us. We're back in Romans, Romans chapter 10. We're going to do 14 to the end of the chapter, 14 to 21, and then 11, of course, next week, Lord willing, and we're going to have a guest preacher next week on chapter 11. Um, someone you're familiar with, I'll give you a hint. Uh, chapter 11 starts off that I myself am an Israelite. In a descendant of Abraham. So you can maybe guess who may be preaching next Sunday to talk about that. But for today, we're in chapter 10, 14 through 21, and we're going to talk about the advance of the gospel. The gospel goes forward. And we've been looking at how anyone and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That all you have to do is to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead. And you will be saved. And if that is the case, then how does that message go forward? How does it spread to the ends of the earth so that people can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved from sin and saved for eternity? But let me just say, the gospel has gone forward. Um, It's undeniable. For 2,000 years, the gospel has been moving forward very quickly in some ways. Uh, some, some generations better than others, but in the very first generation, the gospel spread outside of that small group in Jerusalem, out into Judea and Samaria, and then out into all of Asia Minor and into the Roman Empire, uh, and, and then far beyond that. The Coptic Church, for example, these are Egyptian Christians who still meet today. There's plenty of Coptic Christians there in Egypt. Date They're beginning to A.D. 42. A.D. 42. Remember, Jesus... Uh, died and rose around 30 AD. So just 12 years later, it's already down in Egypt, and there are, there in Egypt, those who have been meeting for 2,000, almost 2,000 years. The gospel's going quickly into Spain. We'll learn about that later on in Romans, the travel plans to get it into Spain. Um, if you go to India, Christians in India will tell you that the, uh, the apostle Thomas was the one who brought the gospel into India. Now, I've heard that the historical evidence for that is not great, but don't ever say that to an Indian Christian. They'll get mad at you. No, Thomas brought the gospel into India, but very quickly it spreads throughout the entire Roman Empire and into the world. And now here we are today, and what do we find? Christianity exists in every continent and very numerous in every continent. In fact, it's almost evenly spread out throughout the world. There is no one continent that really has the majority of Christians. South America... North America, of course, Europe, and then Australia, percentage-wise, and as a, uh, as a far more recently, Africa, and trailing behind everyone really is Asia, because there are so many people in Asia. But anyone who knows anything about Christianity in the world knows that Asia is where there's the most excitement, passion um, for, the, for the gospel, that it's spreading the most rapidly, most quickly. China claims maybe 100 million Christians, most of whom are underground Christians. You know, they're in the underground church. They're not able to be uh, clearly professing their faith. The gospel's spreading there into much of the Middle East. The gospel has advanced. 
That's one thing we can say unequivocally. The gospel moves forward. And here in cha- uh, chapter 10, 14 to 21, he explains the necessary process, <laughs> the essential message for that, and then the personal response from people. Look with me at chapter 10. We'll do 14 to 21, the end of the chapter. And it will be on the screen. We read this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah says, is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading, proclamation, and receiving of his word uh, this morning. Here's where we're going. The gospel goes forward is the big idea here. Uh, 14 to 15, the necessary process, necessary process for the gospel to go forward. 16 and 17, the essential message, the message that is going to go forward. And then 18 to 21, the personal response, how people respond to hearing that message. Okay, that's where we're headed. So look first at 14 to 15. He describes the process it takes in order for this gospel to go forward. This is the plan. This has been God's plan for 2,000 years. It has worked pretty well. Okay, so what he says is, um, how can people call? You have to call upon the name of the Lord in order to be saved. How can they call uh, unless they have believed? You have to first believe it in order to call upon God for salvation. But in order to believe it, he says, you have to hear it. If you don't hear it, how can you believe it? Makes perfect sense. And in order for them to hear it, someone needs to preach it to them, or at least talk to them, witness to them, share it to them. And for someone to go and preach to them, usually that means somebody had to send them out in order for them to go somewhere where there are people who have yet to hear this message. And as he ends this section here in 15, as it is written, quoting from Isaiah 52, which is really a reference to someone proclaiming the good news of Babylon being defeated and Israel being, you know, sort of overthrowing their enemy there, but applying that broader principle of good news being proclaimed, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And the idea being usually people's feet are not the most, uh, you know, beautiful part of them, but even their feet would be considered beautiful for someone who's bringing good news. There is a process that God has given us to bring the gospel to the world. And here's the thing about that process. Um, In some ways, you'd look at it and you'd say, really, God, you're going to trust us with this? I mean, I'm not sure that was the best plan, right? I don't want to question God in any way, but I mean, if he had sent the angels, I think it would have been done better and faster, right? But no, his plan is for us as human beings to actually spread this message. And that's that's how the word has gone out from person to person or person to people 
again and again, generation after generation, to the ends of the earth. Now, there's a lot of different moving parts to make that work. There's different languages, so there's Bible translators. Uh, There's medical missionaries who are going to sort of shine the light of Christ as well as speaking the word of Christ. There are missionaries who serve in regions that are already reached but are helping reach the sort of uh, the extending that reach in that area. And then there are those on the frontier in places where Jesus' name has never even been heard. We have missionaries that we support reaching people who have never even heard the name Jesus before. They have no idea. And they're on the front line. And then there are those who are just doing one-on-one evangelism. But all of that is extending this process of what God has set forward for us to do. In fact, let me add a very important part of that, important sort of cog in this wheel of God reaching the world, and that is dads. Because here we are on Father's Day. If dads do their job well, they're reaching the next generation. And if you don't reach the next generation, the whole thing ends in 40 years anyway. Generation is about 40 years, right? So being a godly dad who raises your kids so that they hear and understand the gospel and hear it from a loving person makes all the difference in the world. We are actually doing the work of advancing the gospel when we spend time with our kids. For you dads or you granddads, spending time with your kids and your granddads kids and seeing it to its advance. Um, I had the opportunity yesterday to spend some time with Matthew Slater. He's the captain of the Patriots, and yes, I am totally name-dropping right now, right? Um, but uh, he was, it was great to talk to him. It was a breakfast at Gordon-Conwell, and he talked about his faith. Greatest special teams player in all, all, of, uh, all of the history of the NFL. But anyway, um, one thing he said is he went to a practice with the rookies there. All right, by the way, he said Bill Belichick is not actually rude. He's actually a really nice guy. He just does that to the media. But anyway, he, um, uh, it's a strategic thing that he does. But he said he took his son. He's got four kids. He took his son to this practice with all of the rookies. And he was convicted because his son said to him, Dad, do all these people know about Jesus? And he said, probably not, son. And he said, have you told them yet? <laughs> and he said, I haven't. Well, Dad, you should tell them because they need to hear about Jesus. So uh, he said, who could be more convicting than that from your own, from the mouth of babes, right? A reminder that it's our responsibility, even one-on-one, to see the world reached for Christ. Every step of this process, we need people involved. We need people, so seeing it, taking the process and trying to turn it, up, turning it backwards, people need to be sent, people need to preach, people need to hear, And people need to believe and call upon the name of the Lord. People need to be sent. Uh, We as a church, of course, we support missions. But we do that individually as well. Uh, When you support a mission agency, when you support a local ministry, when you support Gideon's International, for example, what are you doing? You're seeing the gospel uh, to its advance. When you support Bible translators... Um, we are sending, when we pray for and stay in communication with and encourage missionaries who are on the field, we're doing the work of sending. And every Christian, every Christian should do the work of sending. There's the work of preaching. You need, we need missionaries who actually preach. We need native missionaries in different countries who are being raised up. We need a pastor to preach. <laughs> um, I think that's important as well. We need local evangelists. We need individuals who are willing willing to talk to someone else about Jesus. People need to be sent. People need to preach. And we as Christians need to be involved in every stage. People need to hear. 
People need to be in a place to hear the gospel. In many ways, we all, as Christians, prepare people to hear, right? By your life, by your example, you sort of set the stage for someone to be open now to hear about Jesus. Most likely, they, if they have a negative view of the Christian faith, their ears are going to be clogged. They don't want to hear what you have to say. What's more, they need to be invited to a place where they will hear the gospel. When you invite a friend, a neighbor to church, what are you doing? You're opening up the door for them to hear the gospel. I've heard it said before, our church and its location are not an accident. (laughs) We are where we are for a reason. Your home address is not an accident. So your next door neighbors, your, your network of friends or you know, co-workers or fellow students are not an accident. God has given you that sphere of influence for a reason. Your family and your extended family, God has given you that mission field, that opportunity to reach out to them. People need to hear, and then people need to believe and call upon the name of the Lord. Do you know how to walk someone through the process of coming to faith in Jesus, of receiving him as their Savior? And friends, if we're not doing that, who is, right? Uh, It's our job to see to this process. God's been doing it for 2,000 years, but that's the same process that we're using today. There's a necessary process. There's an essential message. Look at 16 and 17. 16 and 17. We read this in verse uh, 16. Um, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Notice the gospel is to be obeyed. Uh, What does it mean to obey the gospel? When you hear, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be forgiven, uh, to obey it is to then put your faith in Jesus. To disobey it is to reject it. So there's a sense of obedience to the response of hearing the good news. And he's talking here again about Israel. um, And he says, verse uh, 16 again, Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Isaiah spent years and years of his ministry prophesying with no effect. And yet, God's reminder to him, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We believe in a word-based ministry. The way someone comes to faith is they have to hear a message, the good news, the message. And that message is, as he says here, through the word of Christ, or really, namely, the word of Christ. What is the word of Christ? It's a synonym for the gospel. The word of God, the word of Christ, the good news. It's all really basically saying the same thing. It's the word about Christ. And for those who may not know it, it's a very simple message. God, who's made us in his image, sees that we have rebelled against him and committed treason against him. We are sinners, and therefore we deserve a just punishment for sin. But God has sent us his own son, the Lord Jesus who on the cross pays our penalty, dies our death. And what he calls us to do is turn in faith and trust, belief in him. And when we trust Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, the gift of eternal life, God forgives us, and he brings us into a relationship with himself so that we might know and love him. That's the message that he has entrusted to us, friends. That's the word of Christ. Uh, Think about that idea of being entrusted. We've been entrusted with a message. Uh, When you think about the gospel, this good news, it's the most valuable and important thing in the world, right? I mean, what could be more important than being entrusted with a message that at least from a human perspective 
determines people's eternal outcome, right? I mean, I understand God is sovereign. Sovereign. Uh, nobody it goes to heaven because Rick Harrington did a, such a good job preaching. <laughs> and thankfully, nobody goes to hell because I really messed things up in what I was saying. Thankfully, God is sovereign over those things. But we can say from a human perspective, at least, this is the message that determines people's eternal outcome. And God entrusts that to you and to me. That is just mind-blowing to me. I almost wish I wasn't entrusted with something so valuable as that. You know, for you Lord of the Rings fans out there, you know that the, the, these little hobbits in the Shire are entrusted with the ring of power, right? This, this uh, magic thing that is so powerful, it's able to topple all of Middle-earth. And, uh, of course, it's evil. But uh, these little hobbits, they don't even know what kind of power is in their hands. Of course, the gospel's good, not evil. But thinking about that analogy, who am I? I'm, I'm this little Bilbo Baggins nobody, right? <laughs> this little hobbit from the Shire. And God would entrust something so incredibly valuable. It's a gospel that changes the world, that transforms lives. We have been entrusted with a message of immense and eternal value. And God says, share it. Don't keep it to yourself. Make sure that you're sending, that you're preaching or witnessing. Make sure that people are hearing it. Make sure people are believing and calling upon the name of the Lord. I would also say this extends more than just through evangelism. Faith comes by hearing. Again, we have a word-based faith. People need to hear the gospel, hear the message, hear the Bible in order to grow. Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth in his prayer. Um, your word is truth. The way we grow and mature as Christians is by hearing the word. There's a reason why in um, Protestant churches, the pulpit is in the center. Did you know that? So um, if you go to pre- pre-Reformation for sure, but in uh, non-Protestant churches, uh, what do you find? You find an altar in the front, in the center, because the center of worship was communion and transubstantiation, the idea of the Eucharist. Well, the idea changed when the Reformation said, no, the center of our worship is actually the Bible and the preaching of the word, because faith comes from hearing. Now, of course, communion is still a big deal, and we should do it, and it's a great act of worship, and it's a great celebration, and we should absolutely be taking communion regularly, but the center of our worship is the word of Christ, because that's how we grow. That's how we mature. On a Sunday morning, we want the word of Christ to be received by those who don't know Jesus, to hear it and believe in it for the first time, and we want Christians to continue to mature and grow in the faith. Uh, When you think about it, friends, words are a miracle, right? Uh, No other creature has words anything like human beings. Now, I get it. Certain animals do, like dolphins and whales. They have little clicks, and they, they're able to, like clicking sounds that are able to communicate with each other, and it's pretty amazing, and crows, and, uh, but nothing like human beings who are able to write poetry and beautiful music and deep philosophies and science, studies of laws of physics and so forth. There's something unique about humans when it comes to language. It's because God has made us in his own image, and I wonder if a big part of that is not just so we can talk to one another, but so that he could talk to us. God speaks through his creation, but there is a unique way in which he reveals himself through his word. We can understand his personal will. 
we can understand his character. And we can spread a message from one person to the next by using words. Friends, Christianity has always been a word-based faith. Um, Yes, we have experiences. In fact, if you have the word and you don't have any experience of God, there's something wrong, right? But our experiences are always interpreted by the word. Uh, Faith comes from hearing. So if your experience doesn't go along with the scriptures, right, you go with the scripture. And that's not a small thing. That happens all the time uh, in counseling people and talking to people. Someone will say something about an experience that they had that actually goes against what the Bible teaches. Um, And I'll just say very clearly, that's not God telling you to do that. It's either you thinking you have a certain, you know, sort of sensitivity in your conscience. It could be something spiritually other than God speaking. But we always go back to the scriptures. I'll just give you one example. I've had someone say to me before, God told me it's okay for me to leave my spouse. And uh, not for biblical reasons. Not, I mean, there are certain reasons, you know, that scripture outlines. But God told me it's okay. And my response is, no, he didn't. <laughs> because the Bible is actually pretty clear. God has already spoken to this. And God does not contradict himself. Faith comes from hearing. We, sit our, we find ourselves under the word and allow the word to mold and to shape us. That's how we grow. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Then we have the personal response. So it's not only the necessary process, the essential message of the gospel, the word of Christ, but what is the response to this? Wouldn't it be great if everyone who ever heard the gospel immediately believed it and called upon the name of the Lord? That would be great, right? Would probably reach the world in 10 years. Um, But that's not what happens. Look what he says towards verse 18 here. But I ask, have they not heard? So speaking again about Israel. Have they not heard this message? Indeed they have. And he quotes from Psalm 19. Their voice has gone out to all the earth. In their words, to the ends of the world. Uh, In Psalm 19, that's actually a reference to creation, uh, which can really reveal the character of God to some degree. But then in Psalm 19, it goes on to say, but the law of the Lord also is going forward so that people would hear it as well. Israel's had both creation and the law. They have heard about the gospel. Verse 19, but I asked, did Israel not understand? Okay, maybe they heard, but didn't understand, didn't comprehend the message of the gospel. And he says, first, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation, meaning us, Gentiles, for those who are here who are Gentiles, I will make you angry. God is using the salvation of Gentiles to ultimately make Israel jealous and hopefully in time, more than sort of hopefully, in time to see them receive their Messiah. Verse 20, then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who didn't seek me, the Gentiles. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. So yes, Israel has experienced a hardening for the time, but God is extending the gospel to the world, and in time he will bring Israel back to himself. And one more quote, verse 21. But of Israel he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. People do hear and do understand the gospel and still reject it. There are different responses to the gospel. There are some who respond by immediately believing in Jesus. Um, I was uh, doing a Bible study last night on this. 
And someone said they believed in the gospel the second time they heard it. Wow, that's incredible to respond by faith the second time you hear it. There are others who respond by hardening their heart. Um, And maybe even hardening their heart for years, maybe even decades. They know it, they've heard it, but they don't believe it and they don't call upon the Lord in order to be saved. And for those people, we pray and we wait and we continue to persist and love them and share the good news. And then there are some who will never, of course, receive it. They've heard it, but they don't believe it. And for them, we simply have to trust the Lord and lay it before him. There are some who are actually outright angry uh, about the gospel. I mean, they spend their, their energy, their passion to stop its spread, which is one of those situations you almost say, you know, my lady does protest too much. Why are you so angry about this? I mean, why does it matter that much to you that you are so desperate to see it stop spreading? And perhaps there is something that God is tugging at them that eventually, as we see with the Apostle Paul and others, they would come to faith in Jesus. Let me ask, uh, let me throw out a, a difficult question that I get oftentimes. They say, well, what about, Pastor Rick, those who have never heard? Because there are those who didn't just hear and not understand it or didn't hear, understand it, and reject it. They've never heard it yet. And uh, this is, I'll say two things about it, and that's about all I can say about it, okay? First of all, I know this. What God has called us to do is to go reach them with the good news. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So I know that. I know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. I know he's given us as Christians the Great Commission. I know that's what Christians have been doing, going to nations and peoples and places where gospel, the gospel is not known and making it known. So that I know, and that puts the burden of responsibility on us to make sure the good news gets there. And I also know this. God will do what God wants to do, (laughs) okay? Uh, In Genesis, we see Melchizedek, not to get too deep here, but out of nowhere, you have this priest of God most high. We wouldn't know anything about him except for the fact that he comes into relationship with Abraham. I mentioned before that in Muslim countries where the gospel is spreading, as many as 25% of those who come to faith in these Muslim countries have said it began with a vision, a dream in which a man appeared to them and said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So what God is doing, I don't know. When John Wesley came to the United States and began trying to reach the American Indian, the American Indian said, we have already received a vision in which a man will come to us with a book showing us the way to the truth. So I don't know what God is doing in places where his name is yet to be heard. I just know this. It is our responsibility to get there and share the good news. And let's not take away, the, away from the urgency and the importance of making sure that we actually do get there. Friends, I would just encourage you too. Um, as you share the gospel, you will not always get the response of someone saying, I believe in the Lord, right? There will be times in which people will reject it. Be patient and prayerful and persistent. Uh, there will be a little bit of thickening of skin, I think, if you're a new Christian and you've never done this before, uh, where you hear a rejection and that hurts a little bit. But I'll tell you one thing, on the other side of glory, all those who have come to know Jesus through, as God has used you as a tool to reach them, you will be celebrating that for eternity. You won't worry about the rejection you felt on this side of glory. You will just be celebrating what God has done and using you to see people into eternity. There is a personal response, and God calls us to be faithful and persistent. The gospel goes forward. 
There's a necessary process. Send, preach, hear, believe, call upon the name of the Lord. There's an essential message, the word of Christ. Jesus has come and died on the cross for our sins, resurrected from the dead by faith in him, we are saved. And there are personal responses. Some respond with faith, some reject it, at least for a time. And we trust God with that. Let me just take a minute as we come to an end. How are we doing with, with this goal of seeing the ends of the earth being reached for Jesus? Are we getting close? Is this just a kind of a dream that someday the whole earth will be reached for Jesus? Or is this really happening? I, you know, anyone knows the Bible says, when the ends of the earth are reached, then I will return. Just what Jesus said. So our goal, our mission is to reach to the ends of the earth. Uh, all nations, all ethne, uh, all people groups, and then Christ will return. Is that ever going to happen, or is that just something we like to talk about? Well, I mentioned Bible translation, so here's one example. There are 7,000 languages that are spoken or signed around the world. 7,000. About 700, so about 10% of those languages already have a complete translated Bible in their language. About 1,600 languages have access to the New Testament or some scripture already. And due to the amazing work like Wycliffe Bible Translators and other Bible translating organizations and missionaries, and to new technology, by the way, which is speeding up the process, it is estimated that the Bible will begin being translated in every one of those 7,000 languages by the year 2038. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty close, right? (laughs) We're not as far as maybe we think. LifeWay says that globally, Christianity is growing at a rate of 1.27%, which sounds extraordinarily low. But the world's population is growing at 1.2, which means Christianity is growing faster than the population. By the way, among Christian groups, Pentecostals and Evangelicals are the fastest growing. Um, So we're racing the Pentecostals. We'll beat them, I think. No, I don't know. They're They're on the same team. They're also growing faster now than they did a year, years, two years ago. Uh, this, was made, this study was in 2019. So it's not only faster than the rest, but faster than we were before. More than half the world's population in the year 1900 had heard the gospel, 54.3%. Now, in two, well, 2019, when this study was done by LifeWay, only 28.4% had not heard the gospel. Uh, part of this is the, the internet, by the way. The use of the internet is going, is rapidly increasing the opportunity to reach unreached places. Um, the internet, by the way, went from, in the year 2000, uh, 413 million people had access to the internet, to the year 2016, 3.4 billion. Remember, there are 7.7 billion people in the world. The 1 billion barrier was crossed in 2005. Every day, for the past five years, an average of 640,000 people went online for the first time. So as the message goes forward and new technology advances, opportunities go forward even faster. The Joshua Project, great mission organization that kind of tracks these things and recognizes people groups around the world. It's one that I support personally. writes this, We are within range of penetrating every people group on the planet with the light of the gospel, with more momentum than ever before in history. 
the gospel advances. First Baptist Church, let's do our part to see the gospel continue to advance. And personally, let's each do our part in sharing this good news. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this good news that has come to us. Lord, there was someone who shared with us, maybe that was a father or a mother or a grandfather. Maybe it was a preacher from, in a local church. Maybe it was an evangelist on TV, a Billy Graham or someone. But we heard the good news of a Savior who has come to redeem us and save us. And we responded by calling upon the name of the Lord and being saved. Thank you, Father, for that. And thank you, Lord, that your plan of reaching the world is going forward. Help us to be faithful to do our part. Help us to faith, be faithful to send. Help us to be faithful to share the good news, to make sure people can hear it and make sure people believe and call upon the name of the Lord. Thank you for this essential message, Lord, as it goes forward in this necessary process. And we pray, Father, that you would be with the response of those who hear it, that you would soften hearts and open doors and bring more and more people to yourself to the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.